1: Broadcasting on D.A.B. and
2: via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. As-salamu alaykum, peace be upon you all and uh, welcome to another breakfast show. You are joined today by myself, Tukir uh, Ahmed and Imam Farid Ahmed here from the studio Voice of Islam. And we do hope that you're having a lovely morning. Um... And, uh, you know, we, we have a packed show for our listeners today. Um, as you know, the agenda of the show, the first half an hour to twenty minutes of the show, we go through, uh, some of the current news, or which is happening around the world. Um, and uh, after that we go into our, to our main topics and two of the main topics that we will be discussing today is one, the first topic is from 7.30 to 8.15 and this is on the true concept of caliphate in Islam. So uh you know, do stay tuned to that as we have uh Imam Rabib Mirza who would be um, you know, shedding some light on this particular subject. So that is one of the subjects. And also the second subject that we will be discussing from eight fifteen to nine is a hate speech rises on Twitter after Elon Musk takes over research finds. And uh for this particular segment we also uh, we'll be listening to Azhar Hussain and he is an attorney. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what he has to say on this particular segment. But, uh, as our listeners know, um, you know, with the, the show is not the same without our listeners. So, uh, if anyone does have any opinion or would they would like to come on, they can. Do so by calling us on 02086877878, or they can tweet to us at Voice of Islam UK, or for more information on our website, you can go on www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Right, so this is the news hour, and we are running down some of the current news. And uh, right now, we'll start off with the weather. So, Imam Fried, if you can uh, whisk us through with the weather today. Uh, yeah. So
3: today is going to be. A largely cloudy star today with fog slow to lift in the south and a light rain in Scotland, brighter from north Northern Ireland and turning brighter in the south as cloud clears, a few showers in the southeast. and tonight, well tonight will be clear spells and patchy cloud for most, with a few showers in eastern England, cloudier from Northern Ireland and Northwest Scotland, with light rain in the far north and the Isles.
2: Great. So, so that so that's the weather for today. Uh, how are you doing this morning? So it's it's been a very interesting uh, World Cup, as uh, as all our uh, as all our listeners know as well. And uh, uh, just uh, yesterday, last night, we saw another upset into the game, and uh, we had uh, Germany, who uh, although they did win against uh, the team they were playing. Um, Uh, South Korea, they won 4-2, but they could not qualify um, for the World Cup as they were short on, uh, I believe, on the goal difference. Um, um, And uh, on the other side, another huge, huge, uh, I would say, uh, upset as well um, in that sense, you know, Japan beating Spain 2-1. Um, so it's, it's been, I mean, th- these matches have been, <laughs> it's, it's been uh, very exciting. Um, and you know, you, you can't predict who's going to win, uh, who's going to, uh, go through. Um, you know, we, we're, we're just, uh, really, uh, in awe, to be honest, um, especially after seeing Japan win, uh, over Spain. So, uh, what were your thoughts, Imam Farid?
3: Oh yeah, so I was watching last night and someone said that at one point Costa Rica were winning and Germany were losing so someone said that all four teams can possibly qualify and it was a thing in 60 to 70 minutes past it's a second half as well so into the second half now the point here is that that late we couldn't predict who's gonna go out of the four all four could go now Germany scored and they said that okay so Spain's through so you just need to confirmation that if they score, Germany will go. If they don't, Japan will go. And Japan pulled off an upset. And boy, did they pull off an upset! Now they were cleaning the stadium last time. This time they cleaned off in Germany, <laughs> and, <they laughs> and it was a brilliant show. But with not without a bit of controversy as well, because uh, one of the goals, which was you can say declared as a goal decided as it's going to be a goal was indeed, according to some, off the line so I don't know which fans were more, you can say, disappointed compared to Spain or Germany but, well it was a bit of a controversy, but anyways Japan played really well and Spain could not you can say double their lead they only had one goal and that's it so anyways it would have been a draw if it were to be you could say Disallowed, but Japan played really well, and on the other hand, Morocco qualified, yes yeah, so Morocco qualified, and Belgium's out. Mm. Belgium needed a win, and they couldn't score a goal, I think if I'm not sure, yes, yeah, so, so they uh, couldn't score a winning goal, yep,
2: yeah, so Morocco and Croatia from their table, they are also into the um, in, into the group of sixteen and also. Uh, there are going to be two matches today as well Uh, sorry, four matches today from Group G and Group H Uh, so Portugal will also be playing, Brazil will also be playing and uh, Switzerland, Cameroon, Serbia, also Ghana South Korea, Uruguay, so all these teams will be playing today Um, and after that uh, we will have a list of who are going to be the um, the group of 16 and after that obviously you know as it goes into the group of 8 the qualifying rounds so it is very exciting and um, I guess the Islamic perspective on this is the um, you know be, being an imam here uh, in the studio voice of Islam you know um, my take is that uh, you know as a Muslim it's very important that we should look after our physical health and you uh, Know, the holy prophet peace be upon him at one place he is reported to have said that al uh, min that a healthy believer is uh, better than a weak believer so that means we should look after our physical health and uh, we should try to remain active and uh, you know as it, as it is the world cup now uh, and we are looking at some of our best teams we ourselves should also be motivated that uh, you know, we should also ourselves look after our physical health um, and uh, you know, just just stay active to be honest. And i you, you can also um allude to the fact that in in Jammu, in the UK, in the in the institute, um, how on a daily basis, you know, uh, students were uh encouraged actually. This was part of their lesson that you know, they do have to do. Sports um, for for one hour, um, but during the summer it's a lot longer, maybe one hour thirty minutes to two hours. So, what sort of sport would you actively take part in?
3: Uh, yeah. So if you refer to Jamia. So in Jamia, the timetable was made in such a way that they had one hour at least in winter for you can say sports, but in summers obviously longer days, so you could play essentially from after 6 p.m. until well, 8 p.m., or even 9 if you wanted to. But mostly they would stop at 8 because well, 2 hours is enough. But the time table was designed in a way that you could play for at least 1 an hour, and that's very good because uh, the physical training is very important for your body and for your health. Plus, the other thing which I wanted to highlight was that... Uh, there were you can say facilities available there was a sports village n- near us so we would used to go there and um, almost you could say alternate days not every day but alternate days and on the other day where we were not going we would play outside in the field mainly football plus we could play cricket as well badminton so a c- bit of a variety for the sports as well so this is this was what we would used to do in jamia and the other thing which is was important was that Jame trained us to, you can say, sleep around about at 11 and wake up in for the morning prayer. So the timetable was very good and we could sleep after the morning prayer as well. So we had enough time to, you can say, rest and then obviously start in the day at 8 a.m. in the morning. Absolutely. Thank you for that.
2: Um, and we are uh, covering the... Uh, you know, some of the main news with regards to the Amdi Muslim community as well. And uh, as you know, um, that His Holiness he holds virtual meetings with the members of the Amdi Muslim community around the world. And uh, one such meeting, which took place on the 20th of November, was that the world head of the Amdi Muslim community, the fifth caliph, His Holiness, His he held a virtual online meeting with members of the Amdiya Muslim Children's Auxiliary from Sweden. And His Holiness, he presided the meeting from MTA Studios in Islamabad in Tilford, while the uh, the boys, uh, they joined the meeting virtually from Nasir Mosque in Gothenburg in Sweden. And following a formal session which began with the recitation of the Holy Grahame, uh members, they had the opportunity to ask his uh, Holiness a range of questions ranging uh, regarding their faith and contemporary issues, and one of the one of the boys he inquired from His Holiness that why Muslims they adopt different postures during their prayers, while as Hindus and Christians they sit still to worship. Now, there is a very important question that uh, you know why is it that within Islam there are different Postures, and uh, if you look at other religions, um, you know you might find that there is only one posture. They're just sitting and they're praying. So His Holiness gives a very beautiful answer to this, and uh, you know it's 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 worth uh, listening to. So His Holiness, he replied to this. He said that Allah the Almighty has taught Muslims that the perfect way to worship, He has taught us to firmly stand. And fold our arms in front, and whenever you go in front of someone who is respectable and of influence, you show them respect by standing. And when you wish to seek something, your inner state changes, and you bow down, and that is the position that is reflected in the Roku position. And then you stand straight again when you become restless in yearning for what you desire, and when you become extremely anxious. Uh, when asking for something, you again straighten yourself in a desperation and ask your heart's desire that when your anxiety increases further still, you suddenly fall in prostration and weep in front of Allah the Almighty. And then you sit up and you fall in prostration again. And then you stand and then again pray while it's sitting down and eventually you finish your prayer. So these are the postures that Allah the Almighty has taught us to adopt in prayer. So very beautifully mentioning that if you look at uh, the Islamic prayer in Islamic prayer in itself is a perfect form of of prayer when it when you compare it to all other religions as you know His Holiness explains as well that when you know when you're going to meet let's say for example a person of very high influence you know, you would uh, lower your head, you would uh, uh, fold your hands. So there's different positions that, you know, you would take. And similarly, his holiness says that then before God Almighty, who is the the highest of the high, um, you know, there are different postures or different states of humility before God Almighty. Um, and further elaborating more on this question, His Early Holiness further said that when infinite children, they really want their parents to give them something, they strongly insist and will. And while it's doing so, sometimes they sit down and then stand. So this is a natural way to adopt different postures. And during the obligatory prayers, Allah the Almighty has taught us that when ...we go in front of Allah, we should adopt different postures and adopt the appropriate internal state. And He has even taught us the words of of prayer we should use. Uh, He has also commanded us to worship with uh, with fervency in our prayers. And thus Allah will accept our prayers if we do so. So our way of worship is perfect and it is not that way of worshipping where you sit down and you relax... It is a method that is very natural and is in line with our nature. There is no greater being than Allah the Almighty. So when we turn to God, we must adopt all appropriate postures. So a very beautiful answer. And furthermore, elaborating on this, his holiness said that well, just as a child, when it is, um, you know, when it wants something, it a lot of the times it will it will yell. It will you know move his hands and uh, ask for something uh, similarly uh, when we are before God and we are in need of his of his help then you know uh, you know one would weep before God almighty and uh, you know ask for his help so in that sense uh, this is a very natural state and as i mentioned before that this these different postures that you would find within islam this is the best form of worship, the best form of prayer. As uh, Islam, uh, you know, you, you would see that it adopts all these different postures. Not just one posture, but all these different postures. And these are all different states of humility. Uh, Imam Farid, any, anything else you want to add
3: on this? Uh, yeah. So, uh, second Khalifa as well has elaborated on the fact that uh, Yes, we know that Muslims they do prostrate in front of Allah Taala, in front of God, but not only that, it says in the Bible as well that people would uh, prostrate in front of uh, other people just for the sign of respect. But the question arose that what, what now when Islam says that you, don't, you cannot do that? So what's the explanation to some of the verses in the Holy Quran? Well, the answer to that is that you know, before the, you can say, the arrival of Islam, people were allowed to, you can say, bow down in front of someone, okay, or do, you can say, prostrate for respect. And they were allowed religiously. But when Islam came, obviously, now the new religion was in there, and Allah and the God Almighty said that, okay, you're only going to prostrate to me, in front of me, and no one else. But it does say in the Bible as well, and the others as well. so this you can say method of prostrating is not new it's just that the difference is that in islam it says it's only for god almighty but for other religions it could be for someone in front of someone else as well someone who is revered someone who's highly respected and it's just a sign of respect and show of love as well that okay we do admire what you do and who you are
2: thank you for that um you know, just stay uh, a little bit more as we were talking about the uh, World Cup. Um, you know, if the the goal, the second goal of Japan against Spain, it was actually uh, a goal or not, or did the ball cross the line? There's a very interesting piece on uh, BBC Sports, and they say that the the uh, you know the the answer to the question of of this is that. Uh, they, they say that what happened is the tapping happened just after the ball looked to have crossed the b- by line. Even after crossing and zooming, it looked incredibly close. Eventually, it was ruled that the ball had not fully crossed the line. And in other words, if you drew an imaginary line upwards uh, at 90 degrees uh, from the far edge of the whitewash, it would have still passed through the curve of the ball, I'll bet only just. And even though the part of the ball uh, that touches the ground had fully crossed the line, the goal was initially ruled out by the assistant referee after a long pause. Then the video assistant referee, the VR, intervened and ultimately Japan's lead would stand and they would go to win. So was it a goal? Uh, was was the take on this? So the um someone from Twitter he said that uh uh Christopher James he says that the angle you see things from can massively distort whether any part of the ball is over hanging in any part of the line and officials get uh one close look at it and we're right ball in the same place in all three photos as referring to Japan versus Spain uh, the game in the evening, so you know, the but what 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 seems to be the issue is that uh, you know, they the video footage they they showed us it looked as if it was off, you know, the ball ball was off the line. Um, and if there were any other footages, they they did not show that to to the public. Um, so the Spain Spain's boss, um, Luis Iguay, he said that I have seen a photo that must have been tampered with it with it cannot be that this photo is real it has to be manipulated uh furthermore he says that i felt that something fishy <laughs> was going on when the v. a. r. took as much time as it did to decide and i have to say nothing luckily the team only goes into uh collapse mode once every four years otherwise i would've i wouldn't be able to cope so uh it says that the controversy invoked m- memories of Frank Lampard ghost goal against Germany in 2010 when England went out in the last 16 and no doubt for Germany fans of a certain vintage of uh, 1966 and uh, Geoff Hurst's extra time effort when England won the World Cup so he says that in Qatar those 3 points for Japan meant Germany were out and the four-time winners Falling at the group stage for a second consecutive tournament, and it was just one moment on a World Cup night full of uh, spine-tingling drama. Um, so, you know, that's that's just the take on uh, on BBC Sports. Um, and with that, you know, we'll conclude this uh, this particular news hour. Um, we're just going to be taking a very short break, and after the short break, we'll be going into our first segment and we will be looking at the subject of the true concept of caliphate in islam so don't go anywhere we will be back shortly after this break Allah. اشهد <تصفيق>
1: Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio.
0: Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Treatment of neighbors. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always treated his neighbors with extreme kindness and consideration. He used to say that the angel Gabriel had emphasized consideration towards one's neighbors so often that he sometimes began to think that a neighbor would perhaps be included among the prescribed heirs. Abu Zar. Peace be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, Abu Dar, while broth is being cooked for your family, add a little more water to it, so that your neighbor might also share in it. This does not mean that the neighbor should not be invited to share in other things, but as the Arabs were mostly a migratory people, and their favorite dish was broth, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, referred to this dish as a typical one and taught that one should not think so much of the taste of the food, as of the obligation to share it with one's neighbor. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, On one occasion the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exclaimed, I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. The companions inquired, Who is not a believer, O Messenger of Allah? And he replied, He whose neighbor is not secure against injury and ill treatment at his hands. On one occasion, when he was addressing women, he said, If anybody finds only the foot of a goat to cook, that person should share it with his or her neighbor. He asked people not to object to their neighbors driving pegs into their walls, or putting them to any other use, which occasioned no injury. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, The Prophet said, he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his neighbour. He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his guest. And he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should utter only words of virtue or should keep quiet. Muslim Allah
4: Allah
1: You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the Internet 24 hours a day.
4: His Holiness, Hazret Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the present head of the community, continues in his effort to unite people from all faiths and cultures by promoting interfaith dialogue and religious freedom. He has travelled extensively to spread the message of peace and to remind everyone to respect the rights of other human beings. During these tours, His Holiness has met world leaders from the Far East to Europe, from North America to Africa, discussing the economic, social and political problems facing the world today and how to create peace and justice in the world. He has also met religious and community leaders in order to share common values and core ideals, universal to all religions and cultures, with a view to improving the moral state of mankind and creating an atmosphere of love and affection. From young to old, he compassionately listens to the ordinary man, regardless of race, color, or religion. He has personally initiated social projects and schemes to alleviate poverty and human suffering. His concern is not just about the well-being and moral state of the members of the Ahmadiyya community, but of the great human suffering of mankind at large. The Ahmadiyya community knows only that Islam, which is the Islam of love and affection, offers a real message of peace and security. Allah 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 Allah, Allah, Allah.
1: Allah, Allah, Allah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet twenty-four hours a day.
2: Assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and welcome back to the breakfast show you are joined by myself Tukira Mittanweer and Imam Freed here in the studio voice of Islam and uh, we are now going into our first segment and we are discussing the true concept of caliphate in Islam so Imam Freed uh, what is the gist of this of the story
3: so yeah so the first topic we have on our hand is the true concept of caliphate in Islam Now, the term Khilafat has specific translation in English as Caliphate, but also a broader one as Succession. These two terms embrace the specific and and general weight of concept of Khilafat in Islamic civilization. The Khilafat in Arabic means a successor. In in Islamic terms, the Khalifa is the one who succeeds the Prophet. Khilafat is essential as a Prophet does not live forever. Therefore, Allah ordains for his khalifa to continue the legacy and the spiritual blessings of the Prophet. The head of the divine government is called Khalifa in Arabic because he is the deputy of Allah on the earth. And this is precisely the meaning of Khalifa. In the Holy Quran, the Khalifa of the earth is described as a great bounty and thus and this is given to the pious and obedient servants of Allah who have the ability to fulfil its responsibilities. The khilafat after the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. After the death of Holy Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, was followed by spiritual institution of Khilafat, the first successor of or a khalifa after the Holy Prophet peace be upon him was Hadat Abu Bakr, Siddiq and then followed by Hadat Umar Farooq and then succeeded succeeded him as a khalifa of the Prophet and then Hadat Usman Ghani and then Hadat Ali bin Abi Talib This also tells us that there can only be one khalifa at any time. All these khalifa, plural of khalifa, were known as the rightly guided khalifa or khalifa khalifa al-Rashideen. Now where is caliphate today? Well this is an interesting question. So this question means that getting ahead of ourselves because in the pertinent of the first ask about the state of Muslim Ummah, or the Muslim community, for they are disunited more than ever. Even in in Islam's history, despite intra-Muslim conflicts, Muslims were still united when it when it came to non-muslim trying to benefit from muslim conflicts but today it is quite contrary and muslim unity is nothing but a dream unfortunately muslim clerics have misguided muslims and blinded them and accepting the khilafat which exists today in truth today it's it is only the Ahmadiyya Muslim community that is blessed with Khilafat that unites no other Muslim sect can claim it. Great. Can claim this. Great. Thank you so much for that, uh, Imam Farid. Um, um,
2: we do have a guest with us. Uh, we are joined uh, today by Imam Rabib Mirza and uh, you you have graduated from Jamia Hamdiyya. UK in 2013 and served in Ireland for five years and a and a, five years and a and a half years um, and served in the UK for over one and a half years and currently you are serving in MTA. International, alaykum, peace be upon you, and thank you for joining us this morning.
5: Wa well, is salam, dila and JazakAllah uh, for having me once again.
2: Thank you. Uh, so uh, this is a, again a very vast and uh, um, vast and important topic. And the first question we wanted to ask you is that what does the word Khilafat mean and why is this considered a blessing?
5: Uh, the word Khilafat um, basically means spiritual successorship. And the Khalifa or the one who is given the mantle of Khilafat. He is a vicegerent, a successor, of the Prophet um, that has passed away, and the Prophet in whose footsteps he is following, and thereafter he is propagating and promulgating the message of that Prophet. And the Promised Messiah the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has explained this phenomena in this sense that because no one is given eternal life, so God Almighty establishes the system of khilafat or spiritual successorship so that after the Prophet passes away, the believers still reap the benefits of prophethood. In other words, the blessings of prophethood are continued through that individual, through that system of spiritual successorship. And this is the main reason why it is considered a blessing because if there is true Khilafat or spiritual successorship, as we know in the past, there have been Khalifas, but they have only been a Khalifa in the sense of just being given the title of Khalifa. They have been uh, rather worldly kings. But that khilafah, that spiritual successorship, that treads upon the footsteps of prophethood, that truly uh, exemplifies and embodies the work of that prophet, um, they are the ones that continue the work of that prophet, and in this manner, the blessings of that prophet uh, expand and, and further the other people that who may not have seen that prophet, they reap those blessings um, in that sense as well. So this is just the basic understanding of of khilafat and why we consider it to be and why it is considered to be a blessing.
2: Thank you, thank you for that uh, very elaborate answer. <clears throat> and when it comes to the Holy Quran, uh, what does it say on this particular subject?
5: So within the Holy Quran, in Surah Nur. Um, which is chapter 24 of uh, the Holy Qur'an, God Almighty speaks about uh, spiritual successorship. And God Almighty states in the following verse, which is verse 56 of this chapter, God Almighty states, Allah has promised to those among you who believe and do good works that he will surely make them successors in the earth as he made successes from among those who were before them, and that he will surely establish for them their religion, which he has chosen for them, and that he will surely give them in exchange security and peace after their fear. They will worship me, and they will not associate anything with me. Then whoso is ungrateful after that, they will be the rebellious. Now, within this verse, there are many different salient points um that need to be understood first and foremost khilafat or the institution of spiritual successorship is not man-made rather it is god almighty who appoints the khalifa of course there is an election um that is held but Fundamentally, God Almighty manifests His will through that election. And God Almighty, He has promised that there are two conditions for khilafat, for spiritual successorship. What are they? The first is that those who believe and do good works. So these are the two fundamental conditions. If you desire to establish khilafat or spiritual successorship, then there has to be belief, and there has to be good works, good work, virtues. Then, furthermore, God Almighty has mentioned within this verse the tasks of a Khalifa. The first task is that he will establish the religion. Thereafter, God Almighty has mentioned the second point, that after fear, there will be peace and security. So what does this mean? This means that when a prophet passes away, or even when uh, a caliph uh, passes away, there is obviously a state of fear amongst the believers uh, as to what will happen now. Because fundamentally, under the institution of khilafat and prophethood, the believers remain united. And if there's no spiritual successorship or khilafat, then dissension and chaos and rifts begin to occur. So God Almighty has mentioned here that through this institution, their fear will change into peace and security. The third point God Almighty has mentioned here is that <clears throat> they will worship me and they will not associate anything with me. So the major major task, or one of the major tasks for Khalifa is to establish the unity of God Almighty here on earth. So these are the few salient points um, that God Almighty has mentioned in relation to uh, Caliphate or Khilafat within the Holy Quran.
2: Great, thank you so much for that Imam Ravid Mirza. And just one final question from my side and then I'll pass the mic to my co-host who also has a couple of questions to ask you. I, I also lastly wanted to ask you then, how is a Khalifa chosen? Uh, what, what do we find uh within the narrations um you know of, of the of of the Holy Prophet peace be and the companions after him that how was this uh you know, how was the Khalifa chosen at that time?
5: So within the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, we do have a few and certain narrations um, that have been recorded where before the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, passed away, he would exemplify his uh, or express his wish that Hazrat Abu Bakr um, should succeed him. And there's even one narration where he states that, uh, you know, I would have proposed the name for Abu Bakr to succeed me, but because I know that the there's no one else who the Muslims consider uh, to lead them, then Abu Bakr. That's why the Holy Prophet, as such, withdrew um, to express that that desire before. Uh, the general Muslims or the general public at that time so we see that when the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him passed away um, Yes, there was a dissension in one regards that the emigrants uh, the emigrants, um, They said that there should be a Khalifa from amongst them and the Ansar of, of Medina so the immigrants were the those Muslims who migrated from Makkah to Medina they said that they should be a caliph amongst them, and then the Ansar, who were those who gave refuge as such to the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and requested him to migrate to Medina, they said that they should be a caliph amongst them. So Hazrat Abu Bakr, uh, I'm uh, skipping a lot of things uh, due to the time constraint, um, but there's obviously more details uh, with regards to this matter. But anyhow. Hazrat Abu Bakr uh, delivered uh, a great and most excellent address before the Muslims and stated that no, there should be one caliph and it should be from amongst those that uh, you know immigrated from um, or migrated from Makkah to Medina, in other words, the Muhajireen. And unanimously the Muslims agreed upon this and they elected uh, Hazrat Abu Bakr as the caliph um then during the time of uh, hazrat uh, when hazrat abu bakr was going to pass away so he nominated the name for hazrat umar now what needs to be understood here is that hazrat abu bakr was not you know not the single person to nominate hazrat umar but rather there was a council of three to four members and they also expressed the wish that hazrat umar should succeed hazrat abu bakr And then thereafter, Hazrat Umar established uh, an institution that would, uh, a body that would elect the the caliph. So when he passed away, that body um, convened and then they elected Hazrat Usman. Then when Hazrat Usman passed away, the same body uh, convened and then they elected Hazrat Ali. Now, one thing just, I, I want to make something clear here that the caliph that is elected, he is a direct. Successor of the Prophet that he is following. Um, because obviously, in the in the English language, we use the word uh, successor or predecessor. Sometimes this notion may come about that, for example, Hazrat Umar was succeeding Hazrat Abu Bakr or Hazrat Usman was succeeding Hazrat Umar. Of course, due to the English language, um, you know, these words are used. But when we use the word uh, caliph in Arabic, we actually use the word Khalifa Rasul, which means he was a caliph of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So one thing just to remember as a side point, that each caliph in their own right is a direct successor to the Prophet that he is following. Um, so this is just basically a, a brief summary of uh, how the caliph is chosen. And in the Ahmadiyya, uh, Muslim community. Um, the same when the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community passed away, the uh, you know the Ahmadi's at that time they elected uh, Hazrat Hakimul Nuruddin as the first Khalifa. Thereafter, when he passed away, then they elected Hazrat Mustimul uh, the second Khalifa, Hazrat Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad. Then, the second caliiph al Bashir and Mahmoud Ahmed, following in the footsteps of uh, Haz Umar, he also established a consultative body that would elect the Caliph. So, since then, that uh, electoral college, as it's known within the community, they elect uh, that caliph. So, and but one thing to remember, as I mentioned within um, the previous answer, that God Almighty establishes his will. Um, and exhibits his will, expresses his will through that consultative body, and it is fundamentally God Almighty that elects and chooses that that individual as as the caliph. Of course, there are human beings that elect that individual, but it's through God Almighty's will that that person is elected.
3: Ah, oh, yes, yeah. so the next question I have is that the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, prophesied that there will be. Then emerge the khilafat on the precept of the prophethood. Can you elaborate on this? That how the prophecy was fulfilled.
5: So this refers to this long narration um, where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, has mentioned about the different stages of uh, uh, you know khilafat and uh, despotic monarchies and and kingships, and then towards the final part of, of this narration, the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated khilafatun that then there will emerge khilafat on the precepts of prophethood this actually refers to the khilafat or caliphate of the promised Messiah and Imam Mahdi, and as we know that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, prophesied that there would be spiritual and moral decline amongst the Muslims uh, after the period of Khilaf de Rashta, which was around 30 years, that followed the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, be upon him. There would be spiritual and, and, and moral decline. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, then further stated that Jesus, <coughs> the son of Mary, or the Messiah, son of Mary, shall reappear but one thing that needs to be understood is that we do not take it in the literal sense that jesus son of mary will physically descend from the heavens rather what our interpretation and understanding is that a person in the likeness of of jesus will have those messianic qualities he shall come and just as jesus was the messiah for the jude for the jews and he reformed them so too there will be a messiah Within Islam, the Messiah of Muhammad peace and upon him, who will reform the Muslims, and he will have he will bear the title of Messiah and Mahdi, and also the Holy Prophet has stated in one in one tradition four times that he will be uh, a nabi, uh, a nabiullah, so he will be a messenger of God, and <clears throat> this prophecy that uh, you are referring to. This refers to the fact that after that prophet passes away, after that Messiah and Mahdi passes away, there will be an institution of Khilafat, spiritual successorship that shall follow him. And we, um, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we understand this as the uh, Ahmadiyya uh, Khilafat, um, the Khilafat that is leading our community, and one way that we understand that it is divine and it is from God Almighty is because we constantly see God Almighty's succor, God Almighty's help with the Caliph. So it's not a case that just because he has been elected by a body of men um, you know this this Khilafat is, is as such worldly. Rather that person that is elected it has to be seen whether God Almighty's support and assistance and succor is with that person and every year we see that or not even every year, every day we see how God Almighty's uh, divine providence and divine help and succor is with uh, the Caliph
2: Great, thank you so much. Uh, Just uh, last question uh, Imam Ravid Mirza, as we are approaching the 8 o'clock news, if you can uh, briefly, uh, elaborate on this particular question: That uh, does Islam seek to establish caliphate to conquer the world?
5: No. The simple answer is no, because now, as His Holiness has mentioned on so many different occasions, that the system of Khilafat shall be different to the system of the world. In other words. Khilafat will remain separate and uh, government will remain separate. So, such groups that come out like ISIS or ISIL and some other um, groups that um, say that they are, want to establish Khilafat to conquer the world, this is contrary to the teachings of Islam. What they misunderstand is that at the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, because the Holy Prophet was also, apart from being a prophet, he was also conferred um, worldly uh, leadership, uh, in the sense when he became the governor of Medina, therefore his caliphs also were conferred with that blessing as well. And because there was one version of Islam, therefore that was the message of Islam that was spreading throughout the world because there's so many different denominations which islam is going to be implemented and the fact of the matter is that we understand that the promised messiah has now come and he was not conferred any sort of worldly leadership so that is why the caliph the caliphate now this will also remain separate from worldly institutions and worldly leadership so the caliphate shall run separately and government governments of the world shall run separately. And as I mentioned that Islam does not seek to establish caliphate to conquer the world. Rather, as the Holy Quran is also just mentioned to you in chapter 24 verse 56, the whole purpose of of caliphate is to establish the unity of God Almighty on the earth and to uh, change fear into peace. And that's what uh, our caliphate is doing. That is what the uh, Ahmadiyya caliphate is doing in spreading the message of peace, love and harmony throughout the world.
2: Great. Thank you so much, uh, Imam Rabi Mirza. It's always a pleasure having you on uh, Voice of Islam. So thank you once again for joining us this morning and uh, shedding light on this particular important subject.
5: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
2: Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us, or if you want to tweet to us, you can tweet to us at Voice of Islam UK. Or for any other information, you can go on our website on www.voiceofislam.co.uk. So we're just going into the eight o'clock news, but uh, after the eight o'clock news, we'll be speaking more on this particular subject.
1: Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day.
2: alaikum warahmatullahi Peace be upon you and welcome back to The Breakfast Show. You are joined by myself, Tukir Tanweer, and Imam Freed here in the Voice of Islam studios. And we are discussing the topic of the true concept of caliphate in Islam and we were... Very pleased to have with us uh we did listen to Imam uh, Rabi and he gave some very comprehensive um answers on particular issues rega- relating to this uh subject. Um but now we do have a, a short clip as well for our listeners and it is a true spiritual leadership of uh of of Caliphate. So uh we're going to be listening to this uh particular um clip
6: Um, So let's listen. Khilafat, a blessed institution which is like a lifeline to the world. An institution directly established by God to continue and carry on the tasks of a prophet. A prophet of God sows the seeds of spiritual reformation and moral training and a khalifa protects and nurtures it till it becomes a strong tree. Just as God raises prophets for the reformation of mankind, so does He commission the Khalifas after them. And this makes the institution of Khilafat an offshoot or a branch of the system of prophethood. But what makes our Khilafat different? What makes Khilafat al Ahmadiyya divine as compared to other religious leaders? To me, the biggest difference between the Ahmadiyya
7: institution of Kalafat and that of other religious leaders revolves around three aspects, and that's focus, love, and obedience. When we look at the institution of Kalafat, and I visited Ahmadiyya Jamaat all over the world, that same focus is there in every single Jamaat. The same love for the Kalafat is there, and the same obedience is there. Now the focus is on the message he is giving us on a regular basis, in fact, not, not just during his Friday sermons on all the addresses he gives, he's giving us direction he, he, and, and he's admonishing us and teaching us how we can evolve spiritually and come into contact with God. So I see that all over the world, that it not only is the focus there, the attention is on that, on that message and because we have such love for the institution of Calafit, we obey what he tells us to do. And that, that, to me, those three aspects are the biggest differences between other leaders of other religions and the institution of
6: Khilafat within the Ahmadiyya Jama'at. The institution of Khilafat is that blessed heavenly system of guidance granted by Allah the Exalted to a community of believers for their spiritual permanence and development. The significance of this divine bounty is like the rope of Allah. Firmly holding on to it is a verification of their belief as well as a guarantee for their peace, security and spiritual advancement. The first thing the Holy Qur'an mentions is that through Khilafat Allah would establish the glory
3: of religion. Allah would change the state of fear which the believers face into state of peace for them. Then Allah tells us that it would be through Khilafat that uh, true worship of God would be established in the earth, and then true unity of God would be established. We have seen that all these four indications, all these four promises of Allah have been fulfilled in the case of uh, Khilafat Ahmadiyya.
6: God, through His complete authority, bestows the office of Khilafat to the Khalifa, God makes a Khalifa, and none has the authority to dismiss him from this office. He is helped by God. God's help is with him at every moment. As a man of truth, and he's a man that has
7: the courage to speak the truth. And when I listen to him speak the truth, and, and say things like they are in the world, and what leaders need to do and what countries need to do to to improve their condition and move towards world peace, to establish international justice and absolute justice, I'm proud and I'm, I'm, I'm very proud that he has that courage to speak the truth and his only concern is pleasing his Allah, pleasing his creator, he has no concern for any other politician or what anybody else in the world thinks of him.
6: God becomes his teacher and guide. He acquires religious knowledge and discernment from God. God Himself generates love and affection for Him in others' hearts, and these circles of love and devotion continue to widen. Illumined by the light of God, He becomes the fountainhead of light, and then He is bestowed the miracle of acceptance of prayers. Obeying Him is actually obeying the prophet whose khalifa he is. And this very obedience ultimately guarantees connecting that person with the obedience of God. The hundred years of khilafat have already passed. And those who have a glimpse, who know history, will know that the favors of Allah that have been showered on the Ahmadiyya Jamaat had the khalifatul-masih not been in direct contact with with God the Almighty, these successes would never have happened. So th- th- these are the signs that Allah Taala has given, and that is why the Ahmadiyya Jamaat has prospered from day to day. Not a day ri- r- rises when Ahmadiyyat does not go to a higher level, and that is how this flag of Ahmadiyyat this seed of Ahmadiyyat, this seedling of Ahmadiyyat has now been firmly planted in over 200 countries of the world. The history of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is witness to the fact that under the guidance of Ahmadiyya Khilafat, it has acquired a distinguished and eminent global identity. It has emerged as a community following the precepts set by the Holy Prophet wasallam of Islam. The whole world is well aware of its efforts in the fields of the propagation of Islam, education, and its work for humanity. The community is spreading the beautiful teachings of Islam as the vanguard of the high values of love, peace, and tolerance, and for upholding the law of the land. It is held in esteem for promoting mutual love and respect and rejecting violence in the strongest of terms. United, under the banner of Khilafat, it continues to fight against ignorance, disease, hunger and immorality. By obeying the Khilafat in letter and spirit, the community continues to be the recipient of divine support and continues to prosper the world over. So that was a short uh,
2: clip on the uh, topic of Khilafat. Um and we do hope that you've enjoyed this particular clip. Um so just to wrap it up Imam Farid um you know what what is uh you know what what is the term um khilafat, or what is what is the work of a Khalifa after a prophet? Um the second caliph of the Amni Musulquin, Zamza Bashir uh Ahmed, uh may Allah have mercy on him, he has beautifully answered uh, this particular question And he says that uh, God Almighty uh, does everything through wisdom and foresight And there is always a good reason and logic behind it And according to nature's physical laws Man has only a limited lifespan, But the task of reformation and training of society Requires a much longer time So Allah has established the system of Khalifa after the system of prophethood And the khalifa continues and carries on um, the task of the prophet And the seed sown by the prophet is protected and nurtured by the khalifa Till it becomes a strong sturdy tree And it shows that in fact Khilafat is an offshoot or branch of the system of Prophethood. That is why the Holy Prophet peace be upon him says that every Prophet and the system of Khilafat is established. So very beautifully explaining here that well um, you know the work of the Prophet it doesn't finish. And what the Prophet actually does is that the Prophet sows the seed of uh, of reformation and the task of the khalifa is that it continues then to look after this uh, particular s- seed which is sown and it protects it and it nurtures it until it becomes a strong sturdy tree meaning that the khalifa then carries on the work of that prophet um until uh, it becomes to a very um you know, strong strong form, um and you know, the the task of reformation is uh is truly um when it it reaches its peak. Um and uh also I wanted to add to the fact that uh uh on his Friday sermon, uh his holiness Azamizam Surahman may Allah his hand, which he delivered on the twenty eighth of may two thousand and twenty one, he explains that uh even um, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Muslim community, he has written in his book The Will um, regarding the establishment of Khilafat. And he said that God always helps his prophets even after their demise and so that their mission may continue and reach its completion. Uh, similarly, when the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he passed away the opponents of the community they rejoiced and said the foulest of things regarding the promised messiah. They said that now upon his demise the community would flatter and dissipate and the opponents said that without the promised messiah the community would surely be be unable to operate and would fade away without anyone to to help them or lead it. And... uh, his Holiness, uh, he said that these opponents, they were blind to the fact that God had assured the promised Messiah that even after his demise, his mission would continue and reach completion. And hence the promised Messiah told his community that they would see a second manifestation and this is this community would continue. Furthermore, he added that the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he quoted, uh who, he said that who who said that a divine community sees two manifestation and the first uh, manifestation is of the prophet himself and the second manifestation comes when the prophet passes away and the community it exper- experiences dif- great difficulty it is that time the second manifestation comes about And just as it did after the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, when God Almighty established the second manifestation and commissioned Hazrat Abu Bakr as the Khalifa. So in his own words, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he writes in the world, page 7 and 8, he says, and I quote, So do not grieve over what I have said to you, nor should your hearts be distressed for it is essential for you to ast- to witness the second manifestation and also it come it's coming is better for you because it is everlasting and the continuity of which will not end till the day of judgment and the second and that second manifestation cannot come unless i depart but when i depart god will send the second manifestation for you and you shall always stay with you just as promised by god in bahane Ahmadiyya in his book And this promise is not for my person, rather the promise is with reference to you as God addressing me says that I shall make this jamaat, this community, who are your followers, prevail over others till the day of judgment. Thus it is inevitable that you you see the day of my departure, so that after after that day, the day comes which is the day of everlasting promise. Our God is He who keeps His promise and is faithful and is the truthful God. He shall now show you all that He has promised and through these day and and though these days are the last days of this world, there are many a disaster waiting to happen, yet it is necessary that this world continues to exist until all those things about God has promised comes to pass and I came from god as a manifestation of divine providence and i am a personification of his power and after i am gone there will be some others who will be the manifestation of the second power of god so while waiting for the second manifestation of his power you all together keep yourself busy praying so that was from the will uh, page seven and eight, and the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, referring to the second of his station, he talks about the system of khilafat after him, and the first manifestation being the Prophet himself, mm-hmm. and then the second manifestation, referring to the the um, the successors after him, the khulafa after him. Imam Firdi, any anything um, you wanted to say um, uh, say finally on this particular subject?
3: Oh yeah, so one more thing which I wanted to say, in fact there are more than one, but firstly, I have Suratul Al-Baqarah, the second chapter of the Holy Quran in front of me, and verse number 31, and the translation I'm just going to read out is that, (coughs) And when your Lord said to the angels, I am about to place a vazgerent in the earth, they said, Will you place therein such as Will such as will cause disorder in it, and shed blood. Now this was a question angels asked, and we glorify you with your praise and exalt your holiness. He answered, "That is God Almighty. I know what you know not." Uh, Now going back to the Arabic, so the words in Arabic are used inni jaylun fil ardi Khalifa. So this word khalifa does not necessarily mean someone who succeeds a prophet so this term khalifa can also be referred to someone who is a representative of God Almighty and in this verse this refers to prophet Adam may Allah be be, uh, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him that he I'm I'm just gonna send my you can say representative to the earth and then the angels questioned that he might cause disorder and then Allah says that uh, God Almighty says that no I have the knowledge and you don't have that knowledge so this is just one particular thing which I wanted to clarify that the term Khalifa does not really mean that only mean that he's going to be someone who's going to follow the Prophet and one more thing which I wanted to explain here is that uh, as far as you can say the contributions of the Khalifa or the Caliph of after the Holy Prophet are concerned the one more thing which I wanted to explain is that the. During the lifetime of the Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, the Holy Quran wasn't compiled in a book form. So it was written, but it was written on leaves and papers, and different people wrote them, wrote uh, the Holy Quran at different times, and it wasn't compiled in a book form. So there was no book, one copy of the Holy Quran during the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So during the caliphate of Hazrat Abu Bakr, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, he uh, at one in one battle, uh, Muslims lost seventy hufas, So Hufars are the people who have committed Quran to their memory. Now Umar al Talan who had this brilliant understanding of the Islam and the circumstances, he suggested to Hazrat Abu Bakr that we should compile the Holy Quran in a book form. But Hazrat Bakr refused to do so uh, at first, saying that though something which is not done by the Prophet Muhammad, why should I be doing it? But eventually realized the fact that if he is not going to do anything about it, then the you could well you, he knew the fact that the Huffaz, the companions of the Holy Prophet, who had memorized the Holy Quran, are going to. Well, eventually going to die, or they might just be martyred. So he, realizing the fact that the Quran might just disappear from the face of this earth, he gave this task to Hazrat Zaid bin Sabit, another companion of Holy Prophet, to compile it. And Hazrat Zaid would go to different companions in search of the verses and the surahs scattered all across the empire in, to collect them, and he would not just not only just have a collection of those pages and the you can say the text of the Holy Quran but he would have a witness as well confirming the fact that it's indeed part of the Holy Quran so this is how the Holy Quran was you can say compiled and why is it important because if that wasn't, was not uh, happened then we might not have the copy of Holy Quran we have today so this is a great achievement on the part of Hazrat uh, Abu Bakr this uh, first Khalifa of uh Islam,
2: so yeah you know concluding to the fact that um you know it 's not the work of the prophet is not finished at his time, but rather through his successes, you know that uh, it is that continuation of that work um and this is what we see at the time of the holy prophet. peace be upon him as well um and we do hope that you've enjoyed this particular segment um uh as as now we are going to move to our next segment um, and now we're going to be discussing hate speech rises on twitter after elon musk takes over researchers find uh, so this is what we're discussing now so imanfreed what is the gist of this story if you can just uh, explain
3: so yeah so the second topic we have today is the hate speech rises on twitter after elon musk takes over researchers find this so what the researchers say is that Elon Musk says he wants more freedom of speech on Twitter. Instead, there has there has been an increase in, in hate speech. People posting racist content has significantly increased since he took over last week and fired the social media giant's top execs. So the network, conti- uh, the network of research institution analysis. Social media content its its researches found a 500% increase in the use of n-word on Twitter within the 12 hours of Musk taking over there has also been big spikes in use of anti-semitic homophobic transphobic and other racist terms based Besides the n-word on the platform within the following week the tweets included the word Jew had increased fivefold since before the ownership uh, transfer, tweets with the tweets with the most engagement were overly anti-Semitic. Likewise, there has be- there has also been an uptick in the misogynistic and the transphobic language. This surge in hateful language has been credited to various trolling campaigns, campaigns on sites like 4chan and the Pro Trump. Forum the Donald Musk has leveled himself as a free speech absolutist. Does that re- does it really mean that he committed to letting people say whatever they want with no accountability? According to him, no. He says that the reason I acquired the Twitter was because it is important to the future of the civilization to have a common digital town square. Musk tweeted to. Ed- adverts last week and he further says that uh, Twitter obviously cannot be cannot become a free-to-all uh, uh, health space where uh, anything can be said with no consequences. In addition to adhering to the law of the land, our uh, platform must be warm, warm and welcoming to all. Shortly after the accusation, Musk laid off 50% of the twitter employees he also fired several long-time executives including ceo prague agarwal cfo ned chairman brett taylor and the company's general counsel sean and the head of the legal policy trust and safety vijaya gade now, Garde is especially of note because she was instrumental in banning the former President Donald Trump from Twitter after a Twitter poll with over 15 million voters. So with 52% voting yes to return of Twitter and Trump to Twitter, Musk <coughs> restored Twitter, uh, restored Trump on the platform. <coughs> As a result, the team was previously in place to monitor and censor the hate speech, is no longer at Twitter.
2: Great, thank you so much for that, uh, Imam Freed. We do have a pre recording for our listeners, and uh, this from Mr. Azar Hussain. And just a brief in uh introduction on uh, Azar Hussain, he's an attorney from Texas currently serving as the vice president and assistant general counsel for JP Morgan Chase and prior to working in finance he was uh, assistant general counsel for the Dallas Fort uh, Worth International Airport and prior to that he was an assistant of uh, assistant city attorney for the city of Dallas Texas and uh, a former criminal prosecutor in Hunt County, Texas. So, without further ado, let's uh, let's listen to Azar Hussein on this particular subject.
8: So, Azar Hussein is an attorney from Texas, currently serving as vice president and assistant general counsel for J.P. Morgan Chase. Prior to working in finance, he was assistant general counsel for the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport, and prior to that, he was an assistant city attorney for the city of. Dallas, Texas, and a former criminal prosecutor in Hunt County, Texas. Um Aslam and welcome to the Voice of Islam Radio Breakfast Show.
9: Welcome, Salam. Thank you so much for having me.
8: Um, so dis- today we're discussing um, Elon Musk and Twitter. So um, I just wanted to ask you a few questions about that. So since Elon Musk has taken over Twitter and has called for greater freedom of speech and to reinstate suspended accounts, there have been a spike in the use of anti-Semitic, homophobic, transphobic, and other racist terms beside the N-word on the platform. For the benefit of our listeners, could you tell us more about this and the consequences of Musk's actions?
9: Of course. So just as a preface, um, I just have to state that all of these opinions are my own. They don't represent my employer and nothing that I say should constitute legal advice. I apologize, just a disclaimer I have to give. So with that, um, going into your question, so Elon Musk likes to uh, stylize himself as what's called a free speech absolutist, um, which is that he believes that uh, in short, and I'm summarizing that free speech is an absolute and that nobody or no private company or no person has any right to limit or restrict someone's what their speech is and what they say based on content. Because what we're talking about is content moderation or content censorship. So following that philosophy, he decided that uh, after purchasing Twitter, that he was going to take this um, philosophy and apply it to Twitter. So accounts that had been previously banned for things like bullying um uh, uh stating uh making race derogatory racial marks remarks and other things like that those accounts he reinstated his kind of his rationale is is that if you haven't done anything illegal then why are you know why should Twitter take any action And I think personally I think that what his argument does is it meshes several different areas of the law. So with free speech under the First Amendment, uh, so the First Amendment to the Constitution, the first ten are known as the Bill of Rights. The First Amendment is known as the free exercise clause, includes things like freedom of religion, freedom of press, freedom to assembly, but free speech as well. And in short, what the intent of the Constitution was, was to protect free speech against government action. You have to remember that when the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights was written, it was following the American Revolution. The American Revolution was largely caused by grievances against the United Kingdom or the Kingdom of England. Um, And so when the framers were were drafting the Bill of Rights, uh, free speech and free exercise, these were all kind of intertwined. But again, the, the very important caveat that we're getting into here is that it is freedom from free speech and you cannot be punished or censored by the government. So Twitter is not the government. Twitter is a private company uh, largely owned by Elon Musk. They have terms and conditions for using their service or their platform. Those terms and conditions can basically be whatever it is that they want it to be. For example, if they... um, you know, if they created a, a policy that said something to the effect that you know every uh, uh, every tweet has to say something nice about Elon Musk before you can tweet whatever you want to, I mean, I'm literally just throwing on something ridiculous. Per their terms and conditions, they can enforce it if they wanted to, right? Or even saying like all text has to be in blue text or you know something else like that. Because again, it's a private it's a private company. They can do whatever they want to. The thing is, is that what t- Twitter's moderation of its platform, people conflate that with government censorship. Truthfully, it's not. Those two things are not the same in any way, shape, or form. Now, there have been some court rulings that have kind of expanded um, online social media platforms to the realm of what are called public forums. So, for example, if a local congressman re- routinely uses their Twitter account, to tweet policy positions that they're going to take, they actually do not have the right to turn around and ban a person uh, who you know, comments, replies, or, or attempts to communicate because they say something that the politician disagrees with. And uh, one of those cases was actually against Donald Trump. Actually, this is where a lot of this came from, was litigation, um, Uh, by people who had been blocked by Trump's um, personal Twitter account. And uh, basically what the courts have said is that um, if you use your Twitter account for a public policy purpose, then you cannot um, censor a person's viewpoint if it disagrees with yours. So a bunch of people that Trump had blocked, he actually had to unblock, unblock those people. And it became, you know, just a place for people to go and, uh, you know, Trump would post something and then a bunch of people would go and comment, you know, negatively or, uh, you know, say bad things about whatever it is that he was posting. So in effect, what the courts have done is they've kind of said that in a way, well, you know, Twitter is sort of like a public forum, you know, uh, in in, uh, revolutionary United States. Think like a, a public forum was like a public square, right, where people would go and give, you know, speeches about the revolution and independence and freedom and all of that. So it has been kind of taken, taken. Twitter has been kind of taken to fill that role uh, to some degree.
8: hmm. And um, censoring hate speech and users who use hateful rhetoric are primary ways to ensure Twitter is civilized a platform. In your view, is it time we went back to nipping this evil in the bud? So
9: that's an interesting point that you say nipping this evil in the bud, right? So what you're talking about is censoring hate speech. This is a very, very, you know, that I know in the United Kingdom, there are laws against hate speech um, that, you know, you can't say things against certain, certain individuals or people. But what I will say is that in the United States, we don't have that law. There's no law against hate speech. You can, you know, that's why you can make derogatory and just horrific remarks against anybody um, as long as it doesn't rise to the level of a threat. So you can make, you can, you can engage in what, you know, I don't want to say it's the legal term because the law doesn't really recognize this as a group, but you can, you know, commit, you can say, make defamatory statements against an entire group or class or, or group of people. And it's not really actionable either by the government or in a private right of action um, against that person if basically it's not taken to be a direct threat. So, for example, I mean, and and, and this really, this arises mostly when you're talking about anti-Semitism. This is where we see this play out the most. Whenever people spout conspiratorial um, viewpoints that people, uh, that Israelis or Jewish people control the media or control this or control that, basically the reason that, that, you know, that that might be banned hate speech in the UK, but in the United States, it's perfectly legal. You can say all of that stuff because we in the United States have taken the viewpoint that, well, you know, that's protected free speech and it's wrong. It's hateful. It uh, spreads harmful stereotypes that are often used to subjugate um, and attack uh, a that's a, a group that's still a a small minority within the United States, and in many instances a vulnerable minority in the United States. But we have in the United States have just come to accept that like that's just something that will you know we're going to have to live with um, to some degree, you know to and, and it's quite frankly it's very unfortunate. My issue with Online social media platforms like Twitter, like Facebook, like Instagram, and Snapchat, and TikTok is that they act as a publisher. And the way that they act as a publisher is because of the way that they create a content feed that their users consume. So the content feed is whenever you log in, you know, you see your feed that's in front of you and it's a mixture of posts of people that you follow, your friends, and then you'll sometimes get posts and content for accounts that you don't follow. It's like suggested or recommended or something you might like. YouTube does this as well. YouTube, I mean, I don't know how many of us have ever gone down a YouTube rabbit hole where we just, you know, we'll start looking at a topic and then you'll just go down and down and down. Well, if you ever go and and watch historical videos on YouTube, which I watch a lot of because I'm interested in history, once you've clicked on the same subject enough times, eventually you're going to get to this weird point where a bunch of conspiracy theories about whatever subject you're looking at start popping up. So for example, like if I start, start watching videos about the American Revolution and I just keep watching, eventually there's going to be a, a video that comes up that like there's a conspiracy behind the American Revolution that like aliens did it or something like that. And the reason is that because these pl- platforms are acting like uh, like publishers, that they are trying to continue to push media in front of you that for you to consume. And so they look for media that they think that you're going to be interested in. And what we've found is that this is actually nefarious because it shapes human behavior. So when you're talking about allowing hate speech on their platform, and the problem with allowing hate speech on a private platform like Twitter, is that it creates an ecosystem of Keywords, buzzwords, ideas, and and you know these people, these accounts that people might follow or, or that are similar to other accounts. It creates an entire ecosystem where that stuff is going to start getting pushed in front of you. And the more you see it, the more you look at it, the more those ideas sink in, and it no longer becomes an issue of well, you know, the only um, the only uh, uh, counter to false art, false statements or true statements. that no longer, you know, plays an effect on the viewer's mind. At that that point, that person is effectively brainwashed, right? And, And unfortunately, some of us have even seen this with some of our friends and family members who have gone down the, you know, QAnon rabbit hole and think that there's a shadow government run by Donald Trump and Robert Kennedy that's running the United States government. I mean, these are absolutely absurd things to be thinking, but People believe it. And despite any evidence to the contrary, they will continue to believe it. And they've fallen into that trap because of things like these social media feeds that just keep pushing this fringe content in front of them by these publishers. So to co- touch back to your point, I I do think that we should start treating social media companies like publishers and we should restrict the speech that they allow on their platform, mostly and entirely because as a publisher, they are responsible for pushing content in front of their users. And that content becomes very dangerous very quickly.
8: Mm, it's really interesting, all these harmful algorithms as well. Um, and can how easily can hate speech lead to violence and how can we know where to draw the line
9: Oh, hate speech leads to violence. I mean, the two are are inextricably tied. Um, You know, look, uh, Fox News for decades, and they're not a social media company, and this is what some people consider to be legitimate news. For decades, ran a hate campaign against Latin, Latin American immigrants or immigrants moving from South Latin America. This led to armed militias in the United States forming along the southern borders. And I don't even call them militias. Really, what they were was they were terrorist groups because militias implies that there's, you know, at least some level of legitimacy. I don't grant these people legitimacy. They showed up armed to the southern border for the purpose of harassing and intimidating um, um, unauthorized immigrants. And this led to violence very quickly because many of these people many of those people were uh were found to have committed horrific violent acts against um not only not only the 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 people that they came across who were you know who had, were unauthorized in the united states but also residents and people that just lived in the border area um you know i think there was a, one of them got basically they got busted in some drug incident but during that, during that, that incident, a handful of innocent people were shot and killed. So I mean, and you can, you could literally write books about this, about how, you know, belief about, uh, you know, Jews has led to, um, you know, and hate speech, targeted at Jews lead to attacks on synagogues. Um, and then even uh, hate speech against Muslims, lead to violent actions and crimes against Muslims. I mean, it's it it's everywhere. But again, I want to draw a distinction. And and this is this is the the reason that I think that this is something that it's important to draw is because whoever is in power gets to dictate what speech is appropriate and acceptable. If you have a circumstance where the government can punish a person for a privately said or a privately held belief speech and thought are very inextricably tied and it goes very quickly from saying well you can't say that to saying you can't think that and so i'm i what i would say is on a personal level i think that it is not only appropriate but i think it's time and it should be encouraged and it's something that we need to do um is tell the social media companies who are publishers that they need to have strict content moderation and ban hate speech on their platform now Again, I'm not punishing a person criminally for saying something that gets banned, right? I'm not punishing, I'm not really even punishing them monetarily because I'm not saying that you should be fined for it. All I'm saying is that you, your post should be taken down. And if you do it enough times, then you should be kicked off the platform. I think that that's perfectly reasonable in order to prevent the publication of hate speech in front of. Um, you know in, in front of in front of a, a group of users, um, many of whom again are, are children. And you know, we talk about the fine line and th- this, that and the other. you know there are certain universals that we've accepted as a society to say, yeah, that's unacceptable. You should never have a platform like that. You should never have a way of spreading that information, right? So for example you will never find a person to say that yeah you should totally uh, allow someone to publish a how to on how to kidnap people and get away with it right nobody would ever say that because that's horrific we we as a society have, uh, have said there that's the limit of free speech you can't do that you can't post it online you can't publish that you can't spread you know you can't spread that around so if we've already said that there's a limit to free speech, I don't see what the issue is in saying that yes there are these like clear and outright lies against entire groups of people should also not be banned, so to speak. And and again, this this is this is dealing with harmful and hurtful and hateful and just wrong things that are said against people of different ethnicities, backgrounds, religious groups, um and races uh, and also genders as well that 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 you know th- these things spread these ideas catch hold they get they get republished and retweeted and pushed in front of people and eventually people accept them as fact as in, as immutable fact as well
8: so knowing how dangerous and harmful these social media platforms are do you think the government should be more responsible um for tackling this hate and more should be done
9: Yeah, absolutely. But I think that that needs to happen twofold. One is I think that um, that there needs to be some type of a standard and a set of fixed rules against stating against allowing hate speech on a publication on a platform. I'm sorry. But then the second is in the United States, these social media companies enjoy um, immunity from civil liability for content that's published on their platform uh under a law called the communications decency act that law in my opinion is just reckless um for example you could point to a social media app like parlor which is used by conservatives and the entire january 6th um insurrection attempt was planned on parlor if i was a law enforcement officer that was injured that day I believe they have every right to sue Parler for negligence for allowing that speech to happen. But because of the Communications Decency Act, they are protected against liability for the actions of users on their platform. The reason that I think that that is a horrible law is because of the way that these platforms now act as publishers. They will take content and push content and push communities in front of people. So I don't know in what world it's fair or just or equitable for them to get to wash their hands of it. I mean, it's really hard to, to, to overstate the damage that social media has done. And it just blows my mind whenever I say this, but that more people haven't recognized it. Facebook caused a genocide in Myanmar. There were tens of thousands of people were killed because of false information that spread among facebook groups in myanmar people were displaced women and children were raped maimed and mutilated people were burnt alive because of hate speech that proliferated i don't know how mark zuckerberg can sleep at night knowing that he did that and i don't know why we as a society let these companies get away with oh whoops i'm so sorry you know and then just move on as you know and let the world continue to spin. I mean, how many people were ripped from their parents or ripped from their homes who are still displaced because of content like that that was allowed to spread? And for us in the United States, that's on the other side of the world, but it is still like just mind-blowing to me. Like who in their right mind would continue to use Facebook or, or continue to pay for ads on Facebook or do anything that would, you know, give Facebook money knowing that they did that? knowing that they allowed that to happen knowing that they created an algorithm and and content moderation that pushed information like that in front of people's eyes and it makes you wonder then for the own, your own social media use what you know, what what, are, what is the, what are these companies trying to push in front of you as well.
8: Zakala Azur Hassan you're an attorney from Texas currently serving as vice president and assistant general for counsel for JP Morgan Chase it was a pleasure having you It's very interesting and insightful I hope you have um, a good day, thank you.
9: Assalamualaikum.
2: So what is the Islamic take on this, you know, how does Islam deal with the issue of freedom of speech and uh, hateful speech? So um, Islam has uh, provided substance in overcoming uh, hate speech by creating harmony between religions and citizens through social and moral approaches. And the view of Islamic law has uh, raised awareness of the dangers of uh, such actions. So we read in, um, in the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in Bukhari, uh, it is written that a true Muslim is the one from whose tongue and from whose hands other Muslims are safe. So even when it comes to, uh, you know, social media, for example, we should not be out of freedom of speech. We should not be, uh, writing such comments or making such bold statements, which would hurt the sentiments of others. And Muslims, uh, are forbidden to hate, uh, not only are forbidden to hate not only fellow Muslims, but also non Muslims. And uh, if we read the Holy Quran in chapter five, verse three, it says, "In the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful, and let not the enmity of a people that uh, they hindered from the sacred mosque inside you to transgress, and help and help one another in righteousness and pity, uh, but help not one uh, one another in sin and transgression, and fear Allah." Surely Allah is severe in punishment So um, the fourth caliph, uh, His Holiness is a Tahir May God Almighty have mercy on him He writes uh, This is from his book Islam's response to contemporary issues He says that Islam upholds The principle of freedom of speech In such a manner And with such boldness As is seldom witnessed In any other ideology all religion in the world, proof is asked for when statements like these are made, and freedom of speech is thus exercised while it's searching for the truth. And the Holy Quran categorically commands for this. For example, it says in in uh, the second chapter, verse hundred and twelve, um, they say, "None shall ever enter heaven unless." He be a Jew or a Christian These are vain desires And produce your proof If you are truthful Um, And at another place It says in the Holy Quran In Surah Surah Al-Qasas In uh, verse 76 It says that And we shall draw from every people a witness And we shall say to them And bring your proof Then will they know That the truth belongs to Allah and that which they used to forge will be lost unto them. So it is also stated that all truth lies with Allah, and all proof will ultimately point towards the truth and existence of God Almighty. And the Holy Quran, it says that in chapter 2, verse 257, uh, and there should be no compulsion in religion, and surely right has become distinct from wrong. So whosoever refuses to be led by those who transgress and believe in Allah has surely grasped a strong handle which knows no breaking, and Allah is all hearing and all knowing. So when it comes to freedom of speech, uh, you know, Islam categorically says that we should look after the sentiments of one another, and we should not, out of freedom of speech, make such remarks that would. Uh, that are hurtful in fact we see the very opposite in the character of the holy prophet peace be upon him uh that he his actions were such that they would uh even win win the hearts of those who were non muslims for example uh one such narration that comes to our mind is uh that when a funeral was passing by the holy prophet peace be upon him uh the holy prophet peace be upon him along with his companion was seated um, and when this funeral was passing, he out of respect stood up for this uh for this person, and the companion said to the holy prophet peace be upon him that oh prophet, why do you stand as this is not a muslim um and this a uh, this is a Jewish funeral, and the holy prophet peace be upon him uh in reply to this, he says that was he not a human being, so this just goes to show you the love uh the holy prophet peace be upon him had for all uh, nations um so rather uh, we see that the holy prophet peace be upon him throughout his life he looked after the sentiments of all people uh, imam Frieda, um anything you want to add on this
3: yeah so further elaborating on the point that uh, freedom of speech in islam truth is held in the highest regard truth saves false or destroys is one of the tradition of the holy prophet muhammad peace and blessing of allah be upon him however it is also taught in islam that the truth should not be forced upon others there is no compulsion in religion it is commanded in the holy quran how if a non-believer disrespects or doesn't uh, agree with what a believer preaches to them they are in no way to punish and in case uh, with uh, in their case with allah and submit their case with allah taala so just one uh, the following are these give an idea as the as to what the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, preached and practiced with respect to exercising freedom of speech. So the first tradition says that a believer does not taunt or curse or abuse or talk indecently. And the second tradition says that ruined are those who exaggerate. And the third tradition says that a good work, a good word is also a charity. <coughs> so the Holy Prophet, Peace and blessing of Allah be upon him has taught us to the core principles of the freedom of speech, and he says that don't be indecent and don't be don't emblemish uh, stories. And saying good things is a virtue, provided that the good things are said. Good things said are right. N- so. The next thing which uh, the Holy Quran says in chapter 6 verse 109 is that Reveal not those those whom they call upon besides Allah, lest they out of spite Reveal Allah in their ignorance So furthermore it says in the Holy Quran that uh, There should be no compulsion in religion, surely right has become distinct with wrong So, whosoever refuses to be led by those who transgress and believes in Allah has surely grasped a strong handle which knows no breaking, and Allah is all-hearing, all-knowing. This is Surah Al-Baqarah, Chapter 2, Verse 257, And, and furthermore, the fact that the Holy Prophet Peace and blessing of Allah be upon him. forgave those who threw stones at him, who harassed him, and tortured his followers. Proves the fact that even insult to Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is not punishable in Islam. So true Islam and peace. So Hazrat Mirza Musroor Ahmad may Allah strengthen his hand and says that the term, the term all we witness in the world in the world today is as is a result of the humankind's own doing and not due to the teachings of Islam and some so-called Muslims. Uh, Justice is called for in every case where equality and fair rights have not been achieved but even then it is commanded by Allah to not to cross the boundaries of ridicule and indecency. Furthermore it says that humans have been granted free will and along with this the concept of free speech so it has been given to all of humanity not just a single group of people and furthermore it says that with the excess of free speech Allah has given humans sense and knowledge as to not exploit and to make racial decisions this common sense is, is to be called for when making such statements or decisions which could affect a large body of people. In the Holy Qur'an we find that verily Allah enjoins justice and the doing of good to others and giving light kindred and forbids indecency and manifest evil and wrongful transgression. He admonishes you that you may take heed. Now, other incident which I can, you can say, recall from the life of Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is that once uh, a non-Muslim said that the Prophet Moses is more exalted and his status is better than your Prophet. So that companion he reacted to it and he was violent towards that person. Now, when it was referred to Holy Prophet peace be upon him, even he, he knew about the incident, he commanded the companion to calm down and said that, don't exalt my status so much so that I am better than Moses. Al-Saslam. So Moses uh, may peace Allah be upon him. So it in a way shows you that even Holy Prophet himself did not want others to be forced upon the fact that yes, he is the best. So this uh, this is uh, what I wanted to say about the teachings of uh, freedom of speech as far as Holy Prophet ﷺ is concerned
2: Great, thank you so much for that Imam Farid um, and uh, lastly we wanted to thank uh, the producer Nargis Nasser for her great work um, and her team of researchers Anna Ahmed, Neha Latif and Saleh Bakhtiar for all your hard work uh, So great great show uh today you know that you've made so thank you thank you for all the effort for that and also to our brother Beep sadik from uh from our tech team uh, you know for his uh all all his hard work so thank you to him and uh, lastly to our listeners for you know for listening in and uh, uh you know uh for your feedback so thank you so much for uh, for that, and we do hope that you've enjoyed the show. Uh, remember, if you do want to give any feedback, you can do so by tweeting us at Voice of Islam UK, or even calling us on 02 868778784. For more information, you can go on our website on www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Uh, so uh, we do hope that you've enjoyed the show. Until next time, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and the best of Allah be upon you. All.